what do you tell people in terms of deciding between silver versus gold? Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics, as it is time once again for our weekly physical silver report, which we do each Tuesday with Andy Sheckman of Miles Franklin. And nice uh, that this week, maybe not silver, but we do see a gold price over $2,000 an ounce. And certainly a lot of events driving that. Unfortunately, continued conflict in the Middle East, although I was having a conversation about that the other day. I don't think that's the only factor driving that. I think that you have the surging rates, which is starting to leave people concerned about issues in the treasury market with supply coming online, which amongst other things we will dig into today. And before we get to all that, Andy is joining me again live. And Andy, how are you today, my friend? Good to see you, buddy. I'm well, thank you. I'm well. And, you know, look, what do you expect? Um I think it's the first time in 45 years that we've seen that the treasury market has greater volatility than the price of gold. And I think it's beginning to creep into people's minds that, you know, maybe treasury debt isn't the best form of savings at this stage of the game. And why the central banks accumulating as much as they have certainly doesn't hurt the gold price uh, whatsoever. So, yeah, I think this is a shift where we will see people question the wisdom of holding a debt issued by the largest debtor in the world uh, as, as rates continue to rise. I think that's what's happening. So yeah, I think it certainly put a little bit of wind behind the sales of gold, only making silver look that much more attractive as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and I'd like to dig back into that a little bit more later. Although first thing, just to get out of the way, um... Any changes in the silver premiums that we have seen over the past week or so, or is that still remaining pretty steady? I mean, Chris, honest to God, man, it's one of the biggest mysteries for me. Um, it's as if the retail gold market in terms of prices and availability sees nothing of trouble on the horizon. It's as if the retail gold market in terms of prices and availability is acting like this is 2019, even before the thought of a pandemic hit anyone's mind so no i mean the premiums are are great the availability is great um which makes it even more hard for people i think to rationalize what guys like ted butler are saying this massive shortage of industrial sized gold and silver bars um it has not worked its way down into the retail market yet but i will be consistent every time i'm on your show and i will say there will be an event, and I really do believe it will be a bank event and a bail-in, which is law. It's not something hyperbole. It's not makeup. It is law. The fact that silicone and signature were bailed out was in violation of the Dodd-Frank Act. And the next time it happens and the realization, people realize, oh, my gosh, they've lost everything in a bail-in. I think that all goes upside down very quickly, even in the midst of two wars and 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 all the chaos we see around us, gold and silver should be flying off the shelves. Business is strong, but it hasn't translated yet. Not the way that we've seen certainly over the last several years. And to me, it's a mystery, but I guess it's a subsidy and people who are looking to add to their, their holdings should, should be glad because it, it makes no sense to me. Well, understand what you're saying and certainly uh for most of the people watching this show i think that's good news that premiums remaining 
on the lower side, obviously, uh, did have those spikes last year and last couple of years, which make it harder for people. But uh, good to hear that premiums on silver. Is that the same on the gold side as well? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it is. They're pre-pandemic levels. The only coins that are not really are the Eagles, both gold and silver. Uh, they're still elevated. Um, but I think it's worth it in many respects to pay that added premium for the Eagles as these states around America are pushing back and uh, reclassifying gold as currency for all debts, public and private and silver legal tender coins. There's something to be said for the American issue coins. And if we see any type of event, which I have a hard time believing we won't, um, having the American coins the last four years, if it's shown us anything, it's that that's what the public wants um, and the mint has really not done a good job at at doling out to this little group of hard asset people who have their eyes open, the majority of the public, when and if they realize that this is a place they need to be, I would think you would see a repeat very quickly of what we've seen for the last several years, at least as it pertains to the American-made coins, and that would be massively spiked premiums and questionable at best availability. Okay, and... Curious if you've seen any shift. Uh, I mean, we've had gold over 2000 happened on Friday and into Monday, although it has happened a couple times briefly over the past week. And we know that whether right or not to wait until the price is higher for people to buy um, does generally put some attention on the gold market and make its way more into the news. Have you seen any difference in reaction with the people that you're talking to and your customers in terms of now that gold is over 2000, are they seeing that as a sign for concern Are people waiting for the price to come back in or what's the reaction like once we see that price back over the $2,000 level? Again, surprising. In fact, I talked to someone the other day and you know, Oh, I missed it. Jeez. It's gone up. Maybe I should wait for a pullback. And that's still very much ingrained in the psyche of, of the, the person who's looking to protect themselves. Um, and, and maybe there's different levels of sophistication and of experience in this market, which would have proven over the last several years, as much as I hate to admit it, to be a good strategy. That This market is the poster child for market volatility, even counterintuitive volatility. One of the things that I found interesting in Ted Butler's last article was his premise, his idea you know, one of the things that he talks about is, and it makes the gold and silver manipulation so unusual is the fact that the commercial banks, the biggest money in the world or the biggest money banks in the world, in order for them to uh, manipulate the market, they are famous for sucking in the speculators. And as the price rises, they jump in and short a rising price. By shorting a rising price, in other words, they are selling and the money managers are buying. So they're allowing the money managers to get longer in a market that's moving up. But the, the tremendous pressure of all of these short sales, this selling, ultimately drives down the price. And his premise is that they won't do that this time, that they won't even make it available, these contracts, to be purchased by the money managers um, in a rising market, that they won't short the rising market, that they will hopefully get the money managers on the short side. And as the price rise and the commercials are on the long side, they will not intervene this time and the price will just go higher and higher and higher. It won't be that same rinse, wash and repeat 
cycle. So no, we haven't seen it yet. And I think there's kind of like the, the beaten dog syndrome where every time, you know, you walk by the dog, it, it, it shrugs, you know, the dog was beaten and, and you got it at the pound and you try to pet it and it, it shrugs. Well, that's kind of the way people who own gold and silver field are waiting for the next beat down. And, and one of these days they won't. And I don't know when that will be, but I got to tell you, when you look around, ask yourself who the hell would want to be naked short in this market? Who would want to be short in a market where everything is volatile, where the, where the dollar is being uh, really is under fire, where our treasuries are under fire, where everything that we hold to be true could potentially be questioned over the next several months or years as all of these crazy things that we see in front of us unfold and things we don't even see coming. So being short now is is far different than it used to be, in my opinion, when people weren't concerned about the things we're all concerned about today when it was orderly, where people were happy in U.S. Uh, equities and um, we weren't seeing the type of volatility in the Treasury market or the talks of the BRICS or all of these things for the last you know decade plus that enabled the cartel banks to have their way with the price of gold and silver because really no one held their feet to the fire and stood for delivery. And that's changing, whether it be by the sovereign countries who don't care what they do to the price. Good, we'll stand for delivery. Or even the managed money who at some point may say, you know what, we're going to stand for delivery. In this volatile market, you have to be nuts to be naked short in this world that we live in. And one of these days, I, I believe, Ted will be right, that the commercial banks will end up on the long side of the trade and the managed money who is short will witness a religious experience when you realize like in silver last time I looked last week, there was nearly 1700% more contracts than there were bars behind it. In other words, 17 contracts, one bar uh, in essence, or five bars for, for each contract. The point of it is, is that it's rehypothecated in the, in the registered category 17 times nearly. So what does that mean if these entities stand for delivery and there's no silver to be found? So yes, I, I think one of these days the price just goes higher, but right now that psychological barrier of 2000, yeah, I notice it, people notice it, but not the way that you would think they would. I don't think it's made a substantive impact yet. And maybe part of the reason is the lagging of silver which is, is really difficult for people to see an, an asset like silver that has so many uses that is, is by all measurements, according to people like Ted, um, in, in short supply in the industrial level, why is it still trading where it is? And a lot of people have that, that recency bias. I get it. I think there'll be as, as few people taken along for the ride as possible if you are employing traditional metrics and measurements by which you would invest. If you don't get it by now and take a leap of faith, trusting your gut and your intuition that this is something that is not going to be transparent in and of itself by its very nature, you must see it, believe it, trust your gut, take a position and hold on tight because this, this bull is going to try at every turn to buck you from the run. And I think the really big money will, will witness the, the, the huge appreciation, those that have been accumulating and draining the exchanges. But the value-oriented person who's looking at, at uh, technical analysis or waiting for a pullback, these are the people that will be harmed the most because they will be employing traditionally valid measurements that I think purposely will be employed to misdirect the public so that they don't get in 
when they should. The same thing will be true with the money managers. So in a very roundabout way, much bigger question or answer than you bargained for. No, it hasn't made a huge impact yet. I assume it will, but I think what's going on geopolitically is affecting people more than anything. All right. And in terms of what you mentioned in there, here, thanks to Michael Silver Squeeze, we have silver open interest at 1,665% of registered silver. So sure would be something to see uh, if we do reach that point one day where that leverage gets unwound a little bit. Although I think it's that, inevitable that we will, Chris. I really do. I think Michael would too. Well, I would agree with you, although just uh, for sake of fairness and accuracy, it did not happen as of last Tuesday's cutoff line because here is the COT report that was released on Friday. And we can see the managed money was reducing more shorts than longs, silver picking up, or the uh, banks rather, known as the swap dealers, picking up more shorts and longs there, getting slightly net short again, which is that familiar pattern that we've seen, which we hope will break one day, uh, along with what Ted was saying. Interesting, you see also on the gold side, managed funds uh, reducing 23,000 shorts, adding 17,000 longs and banks getting quite short again on the gold side. So have a feeling we'll see that play out a little bit in this week's trading. And uh, we did see gold come in a little bit on Monday following the rally last Friday, but should be a volatile week, especially with the Fed giving its latest meeting on Wednesday. And then we have another labor report coming up on Friday. So uh, plenty that I'm sure the markets will react to. Although with all that said, Andy, when people write in, especially if they're new, but even for existing people, something I don't know we've talked about in quite a while at least, uh, how do you direct them in gold versus silver? If someone is uncertain or especially if they're new and they're concerned about debt loads and how they've seen the Fed respond over the past decade or so, obviously there's certainly cases to be made for either. And I've fallen on the silver side, although certainly think there's good arguments for gold out there as well. Curious, what do you tell people in terms of deciding between silver versus gold? Well, I think budget has a lot to do with it. I mean, it does, and I'd be lying if I said otherwise, but all things being equal, I say things such as, and this, you know, uh, you and 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 Bix and, and, and the silver guys, I hope you understand that I, I let me finish the whole thing before you, you throw up. I say, if I had one trade and only one to make, just one, I'd buy gold because of the central bank's massive acquisition and its reclassification to a high liquid asset, in essence, tier one. But I also say that I believe silver is the trade of a generation, that silver is the most undervalued asset on the planet, um, that ultimately, I don't think you can find a better investment, period, than silver. And when I talk about only if I had one trade to make, it would be gold, I would not be upset if it were silver. I just think there is a lot to be said for the fact that the central banks are buying more than at any time in history and repatriating it and reclassifying it and using it, I believe, um, in a, in a, in a, in an ultimate drive to find some sort of honesty and transparency and stability to a new system. With that being said, 
there has never been, in my opinion, in my career anyway, a better time to own silver. I mean, you know, the last time I said something like this, I said, I'll give anyone a free silver eagle if they can show me. And someone showed me and was on your show that I said, what asset could be half of its 1980 high? And one of your listeners said sugar was. Now, I don't know if it is anymore, but the point is still the same. I mean, what asset can you find that is half of its 1980 high? Now, I read something interesting lately, and it's, I guess you could say, somewhat conspiratorial. I don't know, but basically saying that the military industrial complex because of the copious amounts of silver used in in advanced technology, military equipment and and aerospace stuff, that they have been part and parcel to the uh, to the suppression of of the silver price. They've been trying damn hard to keep it down because of the amount of silver that you need. They wanted it affordable. They didn't want it to run away. Whatever the reason is, I can tell you that there are I have never seen really an investment in terms of price in terms of historical price, in terms of its relationship geologically, or um, just simply its outright price relationship to gold. I have never seen something that is depleting in nature and increasing in supply yet is decreasing in price. I have never seen something that is priced at, at a nearly 80 to one ratio yet coming out of the ground at seven to one. In any way you wanna slice these metrics, whatever investment you're talking about, you have an asset that is de decreasing in nature increasing in, in demand is priced well below its 1980, half of its 1980 peak. There are very few things I've ever seen that offer that type of potential. Now, if we saw the ratio go from where it is now to under 40 to one, I would tell people to trade a good amount of their silver to gold, right, wrong, or indifferent. I'm not saying get rid of all of your silver. I'm saying that it's an opportunity that doesn't happen very often uh, to see this ratio in a historical context it is rarefied air. It's happened just a very, very small percentage of the time over the last 5,000 years. So look, the bottom line is I like them both and you should own them both. And I think there it's a real opportunity to play the gold-silver ratio. But with everything being said, to me, it is the most undervalued asset on the planet and and the play of a, of a generation, the trade of a decade. And if the worst case thing happens, you're stuck with silver, so what? There are guys like Bix who will tell you that it will go one to one, maybe even silver being worth more than gold. That's what he believes. But if it went to seven to one, would it be that far off of reality? I mean, I know it's not there and maybe never will get there. Maybe it will. That's what it's coming out of the ground at, according to Keith Newmeyer. If it's coming out of the ground at seven to one, then take $2,000 and, and divide 2,000 by seven. And what do you get? You get uh, $285 an ounce. Is it that outrageous to say that? I don't believe it is. Gold goes to 3,000. Where does it go? Gold goes to 5,000. Where does it go? So higher than people think possible. And I know that's a convoluted answer, but I try to be transparent with people and say, look, I like them both. Um, and they both offer unique opportunities. You could have a hundred thousand bucks worth of gold in your two front pockets right now, Chris, and get up and run to your car, but a hundred thousand in silver is 240 pounds. You better be damn strong. And, um, I think logistics play a part in it too. So there are a lot of variables, but budget logistics, ultimate goal, 
Uh, are you trying to preserve or are you trying to increase? I mean, there are a lot of things that I will say to people, but to me, they're both money and gold is wealth. So is silver, but silver also is a hell of an investment right now. And to me, that's the delineation more than anything. That's as honest as I can be. And I try to speak almost verbatim that way to people, give them the facts, give them my opinion and let them make up their mind for themselves. Well, that's fair enough. And we won't dig back into what it's like trying to run with a couple pounds of silver, depending on where you're going, especially if they're in thousand ounce bar form. But uh, along those lines, and based on what you just said, what are people buying more of these days and in degree to which you can give even a ballpark percentage? What are customers actually doing? I would say that during the pandemic, almost exclusively people bought bars because the premiums on sovereign coins were outrageous. And I told them that. And then all of a sudden the U.S. Mint issues, I don't know, three, four million silver eagles recently. And I think the majority of people buying silver are buying eagles. They're paying the higher premium because they see where they were, where they are, um, and where they could be. Um, And for me, I advise people, if you're buying gold, by the eagle, by the by the buffalo, they're not that much more than than even a one ounce bar or a maple leaf. So if I have anything to say about it, I'm recommending they buy sovereign mint coins first and foremost. And if I had my druthers, I would tell them to buy gold and silver eagles and gold buffaloes. It's just to me the best choice on on most levels: taxation, privacy, um, uh, demand. Uh, and and the the laws that these states are passing using legal tender sovereign mint coins as currency, I think having it in American Eagles is just a, an added benefit because it's fair to say that most of the legislation that these country or these states are putting forward says any sovereign mint coin, past or present. But look, I think there's something to be said at least in the U.S. for for the Eagle program. Okay. And and in terms of gold versus silver, what are people doing right now? For the last four years, silver has been the majority of all the sales we have done. Since March or April, there's been a lot more gold buying than we had seen the previous three years because you have people literally yanking the money out of their bank accounts, seeing what's coming and, you know, the logistics becomes an issue. So, if you're spending upper six or seven figures, while there's a lot to be said for silver and you could store it in a storage facility or take possession, but you know, a million dollars in gold is in a briefcase. It's 500 ounces, even a little less than that right now. Um, it's 35 pounds. You could sprint to your car if you had to, but a million dollars in silver is going to weigh over 2000 pounds. So it's a problem. And so this is one of the the issues that has to be confronted. So more gold than we've seen in the last several years, but still silver is by far the leading component of every transaction we do or of a cumulative look at all of our transactions. It's by far still the uh, largest component of our sales because it's impossible to ignore the value that you see there. And while it's frustrating, and while it's counterintuitive in its price action and its its suppression and it's it's enough to make you pull the hair out of your head, there will come a day when everything makes sense. And until then, it's going to be frustrating. And either you trust your gut and your intuition and the facts and the numbers and the math and the logic, 
or you succumb to your emotions. And if you feel that way, gold is a much easier ride, but it won't offer the same type of once in a generation potential that you can find in silver. I mean, let me say it to you this way. If silver doubled, it's just getting back to its previous high. If the silver to gold ratio doubled from 80 to 40, where you buy silver and then switch to gold, 40-ish is only its 200-year average and still seven times higher than it's coming out of the ground at. What kind of investment could you reasonably expect to double just by hitting 200-year averages in price without an ordinate amount of risk? Whenever someone says, you could double, if you play this right, well, yeah, right, sure. It's going to be very risky. And I would say to you, this is as calculated a speculation as you'll ever find. And I, if the worst case happens that you end up not able to trade your your silver to gold for whatever reason so what you still have one of the most needed sought after assets that ought to act like a rocket fuel uh, a rocket ship <clears throat> when it takes off so uh, every way i look at it it's just it's too intriguing to not really dissect um but there's no right or wrong answer to any of this so for me uh, I would be heavy, more heavily silver with the idea of hopefully switching to gold at some point, some of it, not all of it, when the ratio changes. Um, but if if you just want to go silver, I have no problem with that. It is as compelling as anything I've ever seen in terms of its story. Well, I think that's fair enough. And like I said, there's certainly a, a case to be made in pros and cons of each. And like you point out, depends on what rules someone is looking for it to fill, whether it's just preserving capital or hoping to come out ahead. And anyway, I appreciate what you said there. And Andy, before we wrap up, uh, obviously we do have the Fed meeting coming up on Wednesday. I find it hard to imagine Powell is going to have a truckload different to say than what he just said two weeks ago when he was giving his interview in New York. But any thoughts uh, as we approach the latest Fed meeting or anything you're looking for or expecting or would like to share with us today? No, I, I don't know what to expect anymore. To me, I look at a big picture. Uh, the big picture to me is that uh, I think that we are heading down a pathway to some sort of, of a default that won't, maybe won't be an explicit default. It'll just be an inflationary default. Think we're heading into a, a period of time or to a place where foreigners aren't going to buy our bonds. They don't want to. They're going to stay away from them and choose other things like gold and silver. That means the Fed will be the the issuer or the purchaser rather of last resort. I think we'll see higher inflation. Um, uh, I think that what the Fed is the, the jawboning that they do is 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 nothing substantive. Yeah, they'll probably pause right now. They're not going to pivot. They're probably not going to raise whatever they do. It's meaningless as far as I'm concerned. And um, I think that you're going to see the market do the dirty work for the Fed more than anything. And whether that be foreigners dumping treasuries or whether that be this, this, this conflict in the Middle East spiraling into something much bigger where the OPEC nations issue some sort of oil embargo, which turns into some sort of an event where maybe even OPEC flips that switch and moves away from the dollar because how we're so not aligned anymore from going green to whom we're defending and representing and, and backing and these alliances that are being made and chosen. I think you're going to see a very difficult time in the treasury market. I really do. I think we haven't even begun to see the problems yet. So 
whatever the Fed is saying, it, really, it's just noise to me. Uh, one of the things I find most annoying is how the markets are so reactionary after Powell speaks. Look, let's just, let's just make it simple. The trajectory we are going on, a $400,000 mortgage two years ago at 2.75% was $1,600 a month. That same $400,000 mortgage now at over 8% is $3,000 a month. That's an 85 or 88% increase in two years. And we're, we're, we're not slowing down this trajectory. And I, I don't think what Powell will say will mean anything. They haven't been honest about anything they've told us to date. Why well, believe it now? Don't listen to the noise. Look at the big picture. And um, the big picture to me is something that is, is much bigger than the Fed. I think the markets are much bigger than the Fed. And I think they're starting to realize that as we are seeing a lot of countries around the world just shed treasuries. And um, this is a problem where we continue to go deeper and deeper and deeper into debt. At, at some point, you know, how high does the yield have to really go to attract more buyers of our debt? I don't know, but um, a lot higher than we'll find out uh, in anything Fed, uh, Fed Chairman Powell has to say this week. Well, I think that's fair enough. And I, I know how you feel. And it's interesting, two weeks ago when he did his interview, he mentioned that he was asked about the issue of the U.S. debt. And he said, the debt is not as much of a problem as is the trajectory of the debt. Although the only problem is that trajectory of the debt is going about as well as the actual debt level um, with unfortunately no end in sight. So no, it's not perhaps a plausible then, statement, except the trajectory not looking particularly good at this current moment either. So no, we'll, it's we'll, not. We'll see what he says on Wednesday. I'm sure you'll be excited and want to get Steve Leesman's commentary thereafter. And and uh, although it was interesting, the reaction after that last speech that they took his comments about market perhaps doing some of the Fed's work for it as an indication that perhaps we may have seen the last hike and did have an interesting silver and gold rally following that. So we'll see in just another day. And Andy, just There's before- one last thing, one last thing. If I was going to make one statement, yeah. one, it would be we're, we're on the verge of a, of a shift away from treasuries as the world's store of value, as the premier asset, maybe to gold and silver and commodities. That to me is, is what this whole shift is talking about. And you can see it setting up right in front of us if you look closely. So I know you're going to ask me about specials and put on my glasses. So we have platinum one ounce kangaroos at $85 over spot. We have the 2023 uh, Philharmonic Austrian silver at 310 over spot. And for those looking to buy gold, something very cool. We have the $10 Liberty in AU grade. Um, those are 1907 and earlier. They're just under a half ounce of gold. Um, a, a fraction under a half ounce of gold, and they are $115 over melt per coin. If you're looking to buy a half ounce coin with real uh, Americana historical context, um, the numismatic coins, in other words, but this is in a circulated condition, um, a really, really cool piece of American history. I love them. 
more maybe more than any gold coin there is the pre-1933 numismatics and if you can find them at a good price hey it's worth it and this would be about the same price you would pay maybe even a little less for a half ounce american eagle so very very cool gold item and uh we're going to try until it changes to bring one gold one platinum one silver for as long as we can and that's what we got this week Alrighty, and you can find out more about that, or if you would like to place an order, you can email Arcadia at milesfranklin.com or send in any questions about any of the things we're discussing on the show, and happy to give you more information and help answer those as best we can. And with that said, Andy, we will wrap up once again for this week, but thanks for joining me as always, and I guess we can see if the Fed and Powell said anything that got your whistle moving next week, and uh, until then, you just take good care of yourself, and we will catch up with you then. Yeah, we'll talk about it on our walk this week. I'm sure there'll be a lot to talk about. I look forward to seeing you in person, and I look forward to coming back next week. I hope you and everyone else out there stay safe, stays well, have a happy Halloween, and uh, we'll catch up soon. Well, thank you, Andy, as always, for this week's update. Hope you found that one helpful at home, at least in terms of some of the different things to think about in the decision of allocating to gold versus silver. Obviously, there are pros and cons of each method and different purposes depending on the situation you're in, but hopefully today's call at least pointed out some things to consider as you go forward with any of those decisions. And before we wrap up, I did want to mention that there was some positive news for Fortuna Silver yesterday as they did receive a court ruling in their favor in their dispute with the Mexican regulatory agency, Semernat, over the mine permit for their San Jose mine in Mexico. Semernat earlier this year had said there was a typographical error and tried to annul the 12-year term of Fortuna's environmental impact authorization at their San Jose mine, although the court did rule in Fortuna's favor and reinstated the 12-year permit and dismissed Semernat's annulment resolution. So this is a positive step as they get their 12-year permit back in place. Again, I will note that San Jose has been in full compliance with the environmental laws, and they are continuing to operate their mine and now have the backing of the Mexican court in that dispute, which has been ongoing for a while and fortunately is now resolved. So Congratulations to Fortuna on that positive development. Hope you're having a great day out there. Appreciate you being here as always, and I will see you again tomorrow.